Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mbliwa Gavaza, and for today we are talking uh, to, I'm just going to say we're talking to a fund manager for now. Um, uh, he's going to explain to us, you know, exactly what they do in uh, just a moment, but we're going to be talking to uh, Convergence Partners. They are a private equity firm here in uh, South Africa. Uh, they have uh, investments, you know, in South Africa, but um, on in a number of uh, different countries, particularly on the African continent with a specific focus on uh, digital infrastructure. And uh, for today, we're talking because they've just uh, put in um, uh, quite a bit of money into 42 Markets, which is a specialist firm that uh, incubates fintech companies. Um, and we're going to be trying to you know, get, wrap their heads around how they're thinking, uh, their investment philosophy, and just uh, generally what the investment landscape looks like um, when we think about uh, technology and the like and to help us uh, to you know go through it and understand what's going on uh, we're joined uh, by uh, Brandon Doyle uh, who is the CEO of Convergence Partners we are at uh, Convergence Partners uh, offices today in uh, Rosebank Johannesburg and uh, I think uh, Brandon was telling me that uh, he's been all over in the last uh, couple of days so you know it sounds like it's been a busy time so brendan greetings to you today good day good day Madiwa, and good good day to all your listeners as well and uh, i hope we have an enjoyable chat no 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 we certainly will um i think a good place for us to start uh i've said private equity i've said fund manager i've said digital infrastructure i've thrown in you know a lot of the the buzzwords so to say um convergence partners uh, for those that are not familiar what is it that you guys do yeah thanks so we as you say we are a private equity fund manager um we are somewhat differentiated from the rest of the market i guess in two key respects one is geographically. Uh, our focus is sub-Saharan Africa, and uh, we have invested ac- broadly across the continent. And secondly, is sector focus. So initially, we started off as a tech sector investor, and over the years, we've narrowed the focus down to the areas where we think we can most make the greatest impact. And initially, that was really in the, the communications infrastructure layer of broadband networks across the continent. And in our latest fund, um, we're now uh, talking about the, using the term digital infrastructure, uh, which we take to be both the hard infrastructure layer still within the telecoms environment, as well as the, the, the delivery services that, that, that are made, rendered capable as a consequence of those networks. Uh, so it's a much broader investment mandate, uh, but still with tech, ICT and infrastructure at its core. Now, when it comes, uh, when we mention uh, convergence partners in business circles in South Africa, um, I think, you know, a couple of the, the big things that people tend to usually associate is obviously Andile, uh, who is, uh, I think it's chairman. Uh, yeah, that's the role that he has. Um, former DG, when it comes to, you know, communications in South Africa, uh, you know, uh, associations with some of the large tech companies in South Africa, and also some of the fundraisers uh, that you guys have been able to close out. I think last year we got a big number. I think it was $600 million or something. 
Am I am I correct? Yes. <laughs> Ten billion rand. Yeah. So we cl- we'll, uh, in 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 uh, in January this year we put the the finishing touches on our third fund. Um, so we've we've had three investment vehicles to date, starting in the early two thousands, where we le- launched our first first vehicle, which was then called Convergence Partners Investments. Uh, in 2013, we then launched our, our second fund, which was a, our first, if you like, classic private equity fund uh, with a global base of investors. And then uh, more recently, we launched our third fund. Uh, the total of that fund is just shy of $300 million. I think the $600 million you reference is the total capital oh, we've raised to date over those three entities. Um, yeah, so back to Andile, uh, he and I met each other in the early 2000s, oh, um, and we started doing things, you know, this is um, pretty soon after he stepped down as, as DG. He was uh, the DG that carried the telecom sector in South Africa through a very interesting phase of transformation um, and, uh, and carried that into our investment philosophy. And that's really how we started to say, well, given this new liberalization we're seeing taking place in markets, uh, what are the investment opportunities and where are the areas that we can make a difference? And uh, you'll hear me talk about making a difference a few times. And that's, yeah, it's, it's core to the ethos of the business, not only making good returns on the investments we make on behalf of our investors, but also delivering them a strong development impact in terms of what we do. Um, and when we kicked off uh, uh, with this broad landscape of where we could invest and what opportunities we should back, um, it really started off by looking at this new emerging wholesale open access telecoms landscape because with a modest amount of capital and a small group of people, how could we make the biggest impact as quickly as possible? And that's really what we did. And, th- and that came out of, spun out, if you like, of Andile's knowledge and, uh, um, and connections within, uh, within the broader African ICT environment. Um, and that's when we did things like launched the Seacom subsea fiber optic system. We were early stage investors in that. Uh, we launched our own satellite in partnership with Intelsat out of Washington, D.C. Um, you know, quite a lot of Greenfields uh, project that we developed ourselves, whether it's in fiber or wireless or satellite. Um, and that's really how we got going as, as an organization, is starting building out networks, which is quite unusual in the private equity domain. You know, we are getting involved at project development stage, at development cost funding stage, um, and the like. So, yeah, and, and, and we still do that to this day, where we get involved in these large ticket telecoms infrastructure initiatives at, at launch phase, at Greenfield's build-out phase. It does seem as if there's a lot of um, interest right now, uh, private equity players, banks, um, when it comes to infrastructure, I've been told that it's, it's an attractive business model because, you know, you put the infrastructure down and for, you know, a certain period of time, you're almost guaranteed um, of, uh, you know, inflows when it comes to cash and, you know, revenues, you know, trying to pay back, um, you know, what's been put down and all that. That's the way that I understand it. Maybe you can give us a different view. Uh, but this latest fund, you know, it's called the Convergence. I had to pull out the name because it's got five words in it. Uh, Convergence Partners Digital Infrastructure Fund, right? So, from a Convergence Partners point of view, what's the what's the theme now? Is it is it continuing? You know, with the same mandate that you've had, you know, through the previous two funds? Um, have you refined 
um, the way that you guys are thinking around it right now uh, because um, as I stated at the beginning you guys have now put in uh, money into 42 markets and they're specialists when it comes to you know building out um, fintech businesses right um, so is not is fintech now a piece of the investment philosophy um, yeah all, all of those things you know I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as I'm thinking right now <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah there's a bunch of questions I yeah. guess in there and maybe unpack that a little bit so starting with just generally your, your observation around um, capital available um, for infrastructure in the in the digital sense and telecoms is absolutely correct you know, there's been a significant, I would say, ramp up in the availability of capital in in in, in what was our core space uh, historically, and the the key drivers there really were co- largely coming out of the, the COVID era, yeah. where it was there were two factors. One is that the um, the telecoms world was a net beneficiary of COVID, with everybody moving online and the emergence of these new high bandwidth demand, video conferencing services like Teams and Zoom, and the need to create secure networking environments for uh, offshore, uh, off-site management and the like, really had, uh, had a significant uplift in the fortunes of most pan-African telecoms businesses. Um, plus, at the same time, I think other sectors came under pressure and had the almost negative impact of COVID being felt. So that's driven a process, we think, of more money than chasing the digital infrastructure opportunity. We're not particularly worried about that because as specialist-focused investors, very often we partner up with other money in the investments that we do. And increasingly we're seen as being the knowledge bearers of the sector and the trends in the sector, assisting other providers of capital with how to think about, strategically think about uh, investing in businesses. Um, so, so the landscape has changed, but in addition, the underlying business models and technologies and regulations are also changing. So what was an investable opportunity even five years ago is not necessarily a private equity investable opportunity now. You know, and that's good. You know, there's a maturity of the market that will gradually develop to the point where base load telecoms infrastructure will generate infrastructure style returns as opposed to private equity style returns. So that's why the the migration for us into this digital infrastructure world is so important. What does that mean? It means investing in baseload infrastructure that is fit for purpose for this new emerging um, world of public cloud and internet of things and 5G and AI, and we can come back to that later. But then also, as I I said earlier, these kind of over-the-top services that are enabled by this infrastructure. So fintech's an interesting play for us, um, and we started this journey in our second fund even. Yeah. Um, but for us, fintech, you know, there's a it's a very broad landscape. Fintech, yes. and you know, you yeah. can look at and, and there are many things that are brought to market that are described as fintech that maybe aren't, um, and even some of the things we are doing are maybe not classically in the in in the fintech definition. Yeah. But be that as it may, for us, any technology-enabled delivery mechanism to bring more solutions and more services to the market as, as enablers, no matter where they sit in the ecosystem, doesn't have to ultimately find its way to an end consumer. 
that is fintech in, in our and the way we look at things. But we don't, you know, we, we're quite disciplined about how we look at the fintech world. You know, we don't, you know, A, it's because of our private equity orientation. You know, we're not venture capitalists, so we don't invest in, um, in early stage businesses. For us, um, our, you know, where the line is drawn in the sand, we will go relatively early and maybe earlier than would be the case in, in global PE. And I think because of our experiences and going earlier on in project development, we've built up an, a capacity and an ability to, to, to look at earlier stage opportunities in the context of the, the market direction. But we still prefer fintech businesses that are already revenue generating and post cash burn. Yeah, we don't want our money to go into burn OPEX. We want it to go in as growth capital. We go growth capital providers as opposed to secondaries, not buyouts. Um, we do growth capital, but we still prefer to put our money into these emerging fintechs that, that are already beyond the cash burn phase, which obviously narrows the landscape in terms of you know, what are the opportunities to invest. Um, but we are now increasingly seeing these more mature, mature ring businesses in this broad definition of fintech that we see um, that are ready for our money. Um, and, and, and maybe a little bit then on what are those themes that we in the fintech world, and, 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 and to your point, then obviously then we then end up with a balanced portfolio you know, where we would expect some of these fintech opportunities to generate higher returns on investment then maybe a base load telecoms infrastructure, but not materially different because as I say, we, we, we're chasing after different business models and, and opportunities in the core infrastructure space that can still generate 20% plus dollar investment returns for us yeah. um, because we are either going into markets um, and building out infrastructure where they are less mature markets, um, I guess what you could call kind of frontier markets, or where we're investing in a layer of the infrastructure that is more designed for this, these future network infrastructures and business use cases in mind. So there's still superior returns to be generated there. But you know, if you're going to build new fiber in South Africa, for instance, you're not going to generate 20% plus dollar returns starting now. So, so we're very mindful of where we invest and what we invest in in terms of our core infrastructure, but we are still expecting the fintech play to give us some return uplift. Um, if you'd like, I can then now move into the themes that we are, that we are most uh, sort of pursuing in the fintech space, or you might want to take, take us in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm very keen on the themes, but before the theme, I'm also just trying to understand the rationale for putting money into, um, let's say, 42 markets, right? And the reason why I'm curious is, because you guys are a, once again, this is me, you know, just thinking through some of these things. Um, and once, and uh, I'm, I'm always open to, you know, the correction. This is why yeah, I'm sort of floating a theory your way and you can tell me whether or not I'm understanding it or, or, or maybe I'm just making stuff up and I'm, you know, too much into the clouds. But it would, it would appear that, at least from the outside looking in, that, uh, you know, putting money into a 42 market sort of hedges your bets and, and a little bit because you don't have to necessarily go out and look for these specific 
uh, fintech operators or companies yourselves. Um, you sort of not offload, but rather have someone else who has specialist knowledge in the space that's, you know, going out and hunting, you know, for, for those types of companies, um, whether they're incubating them or whether they are investing in the late stage, whatever it is, someone else is, you know, doing that and you then get your money to work for you. Um, you know, with some of these later stage companies that are growing and all that, you have um, you you have sight of you know the growth companies and the opportunities on that side. You know, curated by a company like uh, like Forty Two Markets. So, am I understanding that piece correctly? To some degree, I mean. So it starts with us, as I say, building a balanced portfolio where yeah. we have slightly earlier stage, slightly higher return potentials. Um, and 42 Markets is somewhat in that category, um, but only for part of their business. So the way to think about that, op- the way we think about that opportunity is that, and, and I guess across all of our portfolio, it starts with who is the management team we are backing? Do they understand the domain they are in deeply? So, so in the first instance, you're right, we're, we're backing people who can do things that we cannot, for sure. Um, and yeah, that's what we like about the, the 42 Markets guys because they, they deep died in the world. Former bankers really understand that world deeply. Uh, and that's unusual because normally you get these fintech players that are largely coming from a tech background. Here you've got these guys coming very much from a financial services background. Understand these pain points that the banks and the financial institutions face deeply. And then they have a tech capability that understands how the tech solutions can solve for these problems Um, and marrying those two worlds and understand this is a deeply regulated environment and 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 being able to marry both or all three if you like of pain points for the banking market the regulating issues that they face including central banks as well as the technologies that can solve these problems and then creating a series of solutions that straddle all three of those that's what we like about these guys um, and you know so so from a from a conversion point of view when we look at 42 markets there's really three businesses within 42 markets so they're not quite an incubator of other businesses they are an end-to-end group and they have operations within that group but yet within that they then as you say incubate opportunities oh, okay. by developing out so they're not like a separate sub-fund, if you like. They are an, uh, an operating group with, with management that straddles all of these businesses. But then they, with the, the, the core, historic, more mature businesses, they create the opportunity to then back earlier stage new projects and new I businesses. Think, I, think, I think that's the piece of the equation I, I hadn't fully wrapped my head around that uh, 42 markets is because uh, I was more aware of their incub of their incubation and investment into into the, uh, intermission. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was the side I was aware of. Yeah. Whereas actually, what it is, it's more a natural trans- transition of that business over the years, and and then rather than you know, disturbing what has already been created and built, build something new bring in the right talent to actually execute on that new plan, raise the capital to execute on that new plan. So when we look at that business, we say, look, as private equity guys, you know, there's a combination of, of, if you like, older, there's no old businesses, but older businesses that are po- cash positive, that are profitable, 
stable, predictable, and newer opportunities. So within the 42 market stable, it's easy for us as private equity guys to wrap our heads around um, because we're looking at it as a, um, we can attach value to what is there today, which is a private equity discipline, but yet put growth capital in to unlock what's to come. So it gives us a very good balance of stable returns together with hopefully outsized investment returns on these new new initiatives. But it starts with, are, is there a backable set of jockeys in the business that we believe can actually unlock those opportunities? Do they have the capabilities, the knowledge, the, the market relationships, the credibility to be able to do some, some of these things? Um, and when it comes to the mechanics, because I, I like, you know, at least now we have an understanding of, you know, the rationale for backing a team like the one at 42 Markets, uh, the fact that they were already operating in that fintech space, but because of that knowledge, they've been able to then identify and invest in, you know, some of these companies such as, uh, such as Mesh um, and the others, is... For you guys, because you guys are on the private equity side, when you guys put money into this um, company, um, the piece I wasn't able, that wasn't too clear for me is, is this any equity investment into um, 42 markets? Is this, um, is this a deal that allows you to have exposure to invest into some of the businesses that they have? Um, such as you know Mesh and Dile and, and the others, or yeah, like what is what is that structuring? It was like when I was reading up, you know, that's the piece that wasn't too clear for me. No, sure. So, in the run up to to closing a deal with these guys, we sat with them and we restructured their group to deal with exactly the point you make. So, we created a new parent company, which was Forty Two Markets, um, and then tucked under Forty Two Markets, there are these other businesses within the group, starting with the original Andile Solutions business. And and that business largely provides consultancy services to the African banks, helping them onboard these global treasury trading platforms, which are highly complex um, um, software solutions, very, very expensive. um, And effectively, the banks outsource the ingesting of those capabilities to to Andile, which is part of 42 Markets. And then over the years, then they've built these other businesses, including businesses that trade in Forex and the like, and then Mesh. So Mesh is then a subsidiary of 42 Markets, the group parent that we've invested in. And it is, it's a startup, it, it is post-revenue, so it's not a complete startup. Um, and, and really what they're looking to do is then take these learnings of how these markets operate and driving digital transformation of of market structures to the next level using these new emerging technologies including blockchain um, this is not a crypto business it's a blockchain business so we love the, the underlying technology of crypto blockchain we think has multiple use cases that could cure a lot of challenge statements for for the continent and that's what we like about these guys they've worked out how to use blockchain as a, as a tech underpin for a digital trading platform. That is an end-to-end multi-sided platform. So it doesn't matter what in, what financial instruments um, are being created, and it doesn't matter who the market participants are, ranging from central banks to financial institutions and banks to 
down to man in the street retail investors. So it can accommodate, the MESH platform can accommodate all users and all instruments. Um, and yeah, we think that's smart thinking because it really takes a, a massive amount of friction and cost out of the way things have been done to date. You know, the, the way in which some of these cycles in the market, you know, placing corporate bonds into the market, you know, it hasn't changed for decades. And, uh, and now, and, and those systems are not keeping pace with the new digital environment which demands things to happen in real time. Um, so that's what we like about these guys. You know, one of the things that I find uh, quite interesting about what you just said is the fact that your traditional financial institutions or finance companies, I remember having a, a discussion on this platform with the team at Visa um, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And they were expressing a similar sentiment to say, you know what, when it comes to this entire blockchain world, Crypto is where we are not too sure about what's going on, but blockchain, we are bullish on blockchain. The, the, the underlying technology is amazing, and we think investing in that rather is probably you know, the way forward. So it is quite interesting to hear you saying that because I've heard it in a number of instances where people, um, despite all the hype around crypto, will say, crypto is, it, it is what it is. We're not too sure about what's going on there. But what underlies that crypto is an amazing platform. This blockchain really can solve for a lot of um, pain points, smart contracts, um, you know, and uh, and things like that. So, you know, very interesting to 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 to, to hear you saying, you know, uh, something like that. Yeah, and as I say, when it comes to some of the big challenges across the continent, whether that's in fintech, whether it's in um, uh, digital identity whether it's in um, uh, proof of ownership of property. You know, there's real big challenges out there. And uh, we think, uh, we've coined this term applied blockchain, which is taking blockchain out of the crypto environment and really applying it as a, as a base technology underpin for these sorts of solutions. And we are starting to see a lot of these solutions now come to market. Most of them still too early stage for us, but it's an area that we, that we track. Okay. Um, I think, you know, as we are, you know, in this uh, last part of uh, the discussion, very keen to understand your thinking around exit. Because you guys are a, a private equity firm, um, two things are very clear. First, um, at some point, funds come to maturity, they close out, investors get their money back. But second is the exit piece of, uh, you know, at some point you get to, you, you draw a line in the sand and you say, okay, fine, we've reached wherever we wanted to reach and we're now going to exit, cash out, whatever words we want to use. And I think in, uh, what you call this, um, infrastructure, I'm sure that the models and infrastructure are much more mature uh, because we've had, you know, telecoms infrastructure, for example, for a really long time. So the thinking around that stuff is, is well established. But when, I'm, when I now start trying to apply my mind to, let's say, fintech, right, at what point do you even decide that this is the right time um, to exit. I was reading the GSMA came out with the report last week uh, where they were saying that right now in mobile money, which is just a, 
a piece of the fintech pie. Um, in mobile money, there's now 1.6 billion um, mobile money accounts around the world. It took 17 years to, I think, yeah, something like that. It took about 17 years to get the first 800 million, but the second 800 million, you know, accounts were were done in just the last five years, um, a, a number like that. So exponential growth, right? So given that growth cycle, that uh, where we are in the market, at what point do you say, okay, fine, we've made our money, we're going to stop here, when there's still so much, you know, probably headroom, you know, even if you're looking at a 10-year horizon, you know, who's to say that, the year after the 10 years is not going to be <laughs> real yeah. spark up. Yeah, I, th- I think it goes back to our core thesis in fintech. So we, yeah, the, the two key th- uh, opportunities we are, uh, are looking at at the moment, the one is we're seeing a number of very interesting plays in the credit space. And these are businesses that are using accessible digitized data as a way of building a credit view on a person or an SME and then lending or enabling lending as a bureau type service, you know, either off their balance sheet or off others' balance sheets into um, the, the, the otherwise unbanked credit space. And, and then the other, is, the other theme for us is this digitization of the, the financial sector, particularly the banks. And I think that comes with a realization that the banks because of the length of time they've, they've built their own core systems over, it's very difficult from, for them to digitize from within, but it is increasingly the case that they're starting to digitize from without using third-party enablers. The reason why we look at both of those segments, A, that's because there's slightly more mature businesses there, so it fits better with a PE theme, um, and because the exit thesis for us is largely around building businesses that ultimately are likely to be candidates for either a consolidation. So you're seeing a lot of these plays that happen in very specific markets um, that, you know, where they could consolidate across markets or more interestingly, acquisitions by the banks and the financial institutions themselves. Yeah, our, our core belief in FinTech, and it might not be popular with all your listeners, is that uh, calling the end and the death of the banks is completely overstated in our minds. They're still giants, they're still forces to be reckoned with, they still have huge balance sheets, massive marketing spend. They are struggling though with this whole journey to digital transformation. What we're then looking for are those businesses that they that could help them on that journey. Either business that help them find credit answers to how they, how they find credit models lower deeper into the base that's you know, profitable and backable using data sets or these enablement mechanisms that help them transform their businesses from without. Um, now, our second fund, we, we've got a business called E4, which is the, the mortgage switch for, for most of the banks in South Africa. Good example of that. Built outside of the banks, but all of the banks interface with it off a common platform. Um, or a business, uh, again, in our second portfolio called Optasia, previously called ChannelVest, scraping data off mobile operators' networks 800 million unique subscribers globally on their platform, masses amount of data going into a big data credit scoring engine, returned back to the mobile operators as a credit score, allowing them to then lend airtime credit into their base. 
you know, those are the models we really, really like because um, there's a stickiness there, there's a big development impact there, and ultimately these are the kind of businesses that either the mobile operators or the banks will want to buy as part of their digital transformation journey. I like that, and one of, and I think it's one of the things that I appreciate about the private equity model is to say that um, there is an end in mind. So as open-ended as the future is, you know, there's a there's an idea of what the destination is going to be. And I think, you know, the clearer that a person is or that an organization is about where they're going, the more deliberate you can be about how you strategize, you know, what that business is going to be. On a last point for us, uh, because, you know, we have run out of time, is uh, maybe just uh, zooming out a little bit uh, from a convergence partner's point of view to look at um, the rest of your investments. We've spent a bit, a lot of time talking about uh, fintech. So for me, I'll just combine the last two points to say that uh, you brought out an interesting word just now, consolidation. And uh, we understand that in the world of uh, telecoms, for example, there's a lot of consol- people are talking about this uh, consolidation. Uh, I'm thinking about what what what's been happening in the U.S. Um, your operators like I think Sprint, T-Mobile, all you know coming together, all of that. There's a lot that's going on. I think Vodafone in Spain. You know all of those things that are happening. People are bringing these things together. Um, so for us, it's firstly um, how are you guys uh, you know I guess thinking around consolidation and specifically. Uh, we see a lot of in-country consolidations happening around the world. Do you see any cross-border consolidations happening? Is that something that's possible? And then lastly is to say, um, because you guys have been in the infrastructure game for you know quite a long time, what are you excited about? Because there's data centers, there's fiber, there's undersea cable, there's all of this stuff that's going on. Um, in the digital space, is it still you know the the same set um, of things because you're we're driving up usage through increased data and cloud and all that, or do you see any new areas cropping up in the infrastructure space going forward? Yeah, sure. And look, look consolidation is an interesting one because there's there's two trends, and one is consolidation, the other is deconsolidation, and they're happening almost simultaneously. And you know, consolidation really in the industry is driven by the need to be able to keep pace with both capex because capex is ramping up the cycles of technology change from 2 3 4 5g is is accelerating windows of capex build out um, in south africa we've got the problems of load shedding which is causing a capex diversion on top so so some of the consolidation is motivated by there's a finite amount of wallet yeah. in terms of how, how much people are willing to pay for their bandwidth and their connectivity versus the cost of actually delivering it to them. So getting those economies of scale right and getting the unit costs right is driving consolidation to create these giant megalithic organizations. But at the same time, there's also recognition that certain layers of the ecosystem are best monetized in, uh, in a way that's decoupled from a single owner. So if you look at what's happening in the mobile money space or in the telecoms infrastructure space, with you know, increasingly you've seen the Airtels and the MTNs and the like 
started to move away from 100% ownership of those assets yeah. um, to free them up to be able to be more open access and, and, uh, and monetize those assets better. So those are the two, two trends there. And the question around um, kind of market evolution and cross-border consolidation, absolutely. You know, the, I, I, our thesis has been that since Convergence launched is that you know, things like the internet know no nat- natural boundaries. Um, and um, and if, if you look at, at fiber build-outs, you know, increasingly you start to see fiber build-outs that traverse multiple countries just because it's a kind of common sense thing to do to get from A to B quickest and most efficiently. Let's do it like that rather than trying to kind of ring fence these things on a country by country basis. Of course, there's things like um, protection of data and, and sovereignty yeah. that comes into it in terms of where data centers sit and where data sits. And yeah, I think that will, that's here to stay. Um, but the efficiency gains of being multi-country, um, you know, your, your clients are multi-country. If you're serving multinationals or big enterprise, uh, they, they are footprinted generally across multiple countries, so you have to serve their needs across multiple countries. So that's here to stay. Uh, I think whether it's in a building infrastructure that's for multiple countries or consolidating individual players that straddle different countries, I think that, that play will continue. Uh, and then I guess on this point of what excites us, I think this, this migration, there are all of these technologies that are moving forward at the same pace and that are complementary and interdependent. Now, whether that's cloud, 5G, AI, IoT, all of these things are self-standing but also rely on each other. You, know, you can't have a, a good AI capability unless you've got IoT out in the field bringing that data. You need the cloud to be able to process that efficiently and cheaply and cost-effectively. That, that mobile AIT needs a 5G layer 5G is a born-in-the-cloud platform. So all of these things kind of thread together, and it's really exciting. And, and I think people are underestimating the change that these technologies will bring, not only at the network infrastructure layer, but in terms of what solutions the African market is going to find off of these technologies for the problems we have in terms of social services. And that's really powerful for me, is that uh, the price points of cloud are coming right down, the price points of, of, of connectivity are coming right down, putting much more affordability into the hands of providers who are going to find exciting new solutions to bring to market. Mm. I think this, uh, you know, where we are right now, uh, it warrants a part two, uh, because I'm very interested to, you know, pick your brain around how, you know, um, firms on the continent can take advantage of the AI opportunity because I think from an infrastructure point of view there's a probably a huge opportunity I, I am one of these days Microsoft will let us know just how much of their compute power chat GPT is taking up and open AI how much open AI how much of their computing power just that one platform is taking up and if others are cropping up you know I think we've heard the likes of Alibaba Google everyone is you know uh, doubling down on this and you could imagine what that's going to do when it comes to increasing the demand for compute power um, you know around the world I'm sure that's a huge opportunity um, when it comes to infrastructure so that one I'm going to save for, uh, for, for for another for another day that's a long that's a long conversation because it's not just about those mechanisms but things like 
really exciting things we're seeing happen in video analytics that are specific use case for the African continent. Um, and uh, what, uh, what we, uh, we love about uh, investing in this continent is that in the telco and digital space, these technologies get repurposed for things that were never imagined when they were developed in the so-called developed Western world. And, uh, and that's where things get really exciting. Very much so. So that brings us to the end of uh, this uh, great discussion around, uh, you know, convergence partners, just trying to understand um, their investment philosophy and, um, you know, the types of technologies and projects that they have been getting themselves, um, you know, involved in. Um, they recently closed out their third fund at $296 million. And, um, you know, some of that money has started being deployed um, in things like fintech, just trying to understand uh, how Convergence is thinking around uh, the fintech opportunity um, and also at the same time how that fintech opportunity fits into their broader their broader strategy around different uh, digital infrastructure on the on the continent and uh, you know the rest of the world as I said there is a future there is a future conversation that needs to be had around uh, AI and you know all of that uh, but it has really been great keen to see how things develop, you know, when it comes to some of those platforms like uh, Andile Solutions, MeshTrade, um, and others that are sitting um, uh, in the 42 Markets Group and, you know, whether we're going to be seeing other names popping up in there and uh, the, the other opportunities. One, one of, a couple of the things that uh, Brendan did point out is to say that um, there's a lot of opportunities in some of the ancillary services such as insurance um, and the like that are going to be um, likely, you know, focus areas um, when it comes to the fintech opportunity, and then obviously ending off talking about, um, you know, how they're thinking about the rest of uh, the infrastructure piece, and uh, you know, Brendan, you know, sounding quite excited about, um, you know, what cloud, 5G, and some of these other technologies are going to mean uh, for a firm like theirs. So that's been it. We were chatting to Brendan Doyle, who is the CEO of uh, Convergence partners. Brendan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from myself and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.